listening to the Good News in the Dark World podcast. Join us as we study God's Word and discover Jesus on every page. Here's Pastor Kevin. This is a uh, rather straightforward account of Jesus calling his first disciples. But it's a passage that uh, I hope we see that God works in ways and through people that we don't expect. And, and this is meant to be an encouragement to us that God works in ways and through people that we would not expect. And so Matthew chapter 4, uh, beginning at verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. We might think that the church of Jesus Christ would be better served if we had more famous, powerful, influential people on our side. I mean, wouldn't the church have a greater place in society and have more to say and more influence if we had people like LeBron James or Jennifer Lopez or Jeff Bezos on our side? Wouldn't the church grow and prosper and flourish and have a greater impact on society if only we had powerful, influential, famous people? Well, the fact of the matter is that the Bible tells us the exact opposite. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. We are not wise according to the world. We are not powerful according to the world. We don't have great ancestry according to the world. Instead, we are seen as foolish. We are seen as weak. We are seen as low and despised. And yet, isn't it amazing that God calls people like us and he uses people like us? He calls and uses the foolish and the weak and the low and despised. Why? So that we might not boast about how great we are. So that we might not boast that we have LeBron James on our team. So that we might not boast about how much we know so that we might not boast about, well, how reformed we are and no one else gets it right like we do. 
God chooses the low and the weak and the despised so that he will get all the glory. Our passage this morning teaches us the same exact truth. Children, when, when Jesus calls his first disciples, whom does he call? Does he go find the LeBron James and the J-Lo of his day? Does he go find the, the erudite religious scholars of his day? He calls guys who fished for a living. Now, some of you really enjoy fishing. It's a great hobby if you have the patience. But, but fishing all day can, can be a, a pretty dirty, stinky job, right? When I was a kid, I, I used to go fishing a lot. And I know the smell that, that comes from handling bait and fish all day. And it's not necessarily a pleasant smell. It's not really a smell that goes away all that quickly. And, and, and for most of us, fish isn't the most pleasant smell. When you go to vintage car wash in Modesto, they don't ask you, do you want the fish scent today? It can be a rather stinky thing. And so we might think to ourselves, why would our Lord start with guys like this? Seemingly unlearned, seemingly not very influential but this is how he works. He chooses what is foolish in the eyes of the world to shame the wise. As I mentioned a moment ago, this should be a great encouragement to us. Because as we serve in this church, as we serve in our families, as we serve in our communities, most of us might think, Lord, are you really going to use someone like me? I don't have great gifts and abilities. I'm, I'm just kind of a normal, everyday Christian. Can you really use someone like me? Jesus called and used humble fishermen. And, and Christian, you can be assured that he will use you as well. Now, as we look at the passage, as it begins, we see that Jesus is, is walking by the Sea of Galilee. Now, remember, the Sea of Galilee is, is essentially a lake. Um, at its widest point, it's about seven and a half miles wide. At its longest point, it's about 13 miles long. Uh, for comparison's sake, uh, I'm not sure the width, but Lake Shasta is 35 miles long. So the Sea of Galilee isn't really that big. It, it sits down. It sits down about 600 feet below sea level. And during this time, there were nine cities on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Today, there's only one little town, Tiberias, that's left. But, but back then, in Jesus' day, there were nine. And in these nine cities, there were a lot of fishermen. Josephus, who was a, a Jewish historian, tells us that just one of the fishing fleets of that day had 240 boats. And so this is major business on the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus is walking along the shore. Surely that shore is filled with fishermen. You can get this in your mind. And he zeroes in on two brothers. Simon and Andrew. And, and these brothers are doing what fishermen do. They are fishing. They're casting their net into the sea, and they're trying to catch some fish. Uh, in that day, there were essentially three ways to catch fish. Uh, the first method was, was similar to the rod and reel method that we use today. They would take a, a stick, and they would put some string on it, and they would try and catch fish. The other method, the second method, was what's called a dragnet. A, a dragnet was used from a boat, 
And then what they would do is they would, they would take this net, which would have weight on one end, and they would throw the net into the water, and the net would sink down into the water, and as they rowed the boat, as they moved the boat, that net would catch fish, dragnet method. The third method what was, called, was called a casting net. That's what Andrew and Simon are doing here. It was a round net. It was about uh, nine feet in diameter, and it had little weights all around the edges. And they would take that net, they would throw it out from the shore, from the edge of the lake. It would sink down and surround the fish, and then they'd pull it in. So that's what Andrew and Simon are doing right now. Jesus sees them doing this, and he says to them in verse 19, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now we might think this is the first time Simon and Andrew have met Jesus. But it's actually not the first time they've met Jesus. This is another encounter. If you have your Bible, go over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Simon and Andrew already knew who Jesus was. John chapter 1. And take a look at verse 35. John 1, 35. The next day again, John, that means John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So it's here in John chapter 1, not Matthew 4. It's here in John 1 where Simon and Andrew first meet Jesus and embrace him as the Messiah. And then scholars tell us about one year later in Matthew 4, Jesus calls these two men to follow him in a more formal way. Now, the question that we want to ask this morning and consider is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? When Jesus said to these men in this passage, follow me, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Does it it mean children just to kind of follow him around wherever Jesus goes, you go? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Well, we could actually say that to follow Jesus would mean three things for these men. First of all, number one, it meant to watch Jesus. It meant to watch him. Jesus' disciples would, would see how he interacted with other people. They would see his gentle and lowly spirit that he displayed to sinners. They they would see that he came not to be served, but to serve. They would see him eat with tax collectors and prostitutes. They would see his holy anger toward the self-righteous. They would see his powerful miracles, miracles that attested to the fact that he was indeed the Son of God. They would see him suffer. They would see him nailed to the cross. They would see him rise from the dead. They would see him ascend into heaven. How powerful That must have been. 
to see the one who, though he was rich, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, became poor for us so that we by his poverty might become rich. To see that he did not lord it over others, to see that he did not come to be served, but he came to give his life a ransom for many. And so for three years, these men would follow Jesus around and they would see him, they would watch him, they would observe him. Secondly, though, it also meant to listen to Jesus. There are certain preachers we love to listen to. Sinclair Ferguson, John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, Alistair Begg. But imagine listening to Jesus teach and preach. Imagine being there to to hear his sermon on the mount, his, his parables, his words of eternal life, his proclamation of the gospel, his instruction in righteousness. Imagine being there and hearing Jesus say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Imagine listening to the words of our Savior. And people were astonished at Jesus' teaching, weren't they? Matthew chapter 1 says they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching and they were astonished at his teaching. Why? Because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. You have to understand that in that day when the the religious leaders would teach, they would stand up in a synagogue And they would just quote one so-called expert after another, one opinion after another, one tradition after another. But Jesus spoke with the authority of God himself. His preaching was powerful. And so for these men whom Jesus calls to follow him, it meant to watch him, to hear him, to listen to his teaching and preaching. And third, it meant to imitate him. I'll give you just one example. If you take your Bible and go over for just a moment, once again to John, John chapter 13. John chapter 13. As you're turning there, you may know the background that Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. Children, it's the, it's the very night before Jesus will die on the cross for our sins. And there's a certain point when he's there with his disciples in the upper room that he, he takes a towel and he ties it around his waist and he stoops down to wash the feet of the disciples. Now this was a common thing in the first century. In, in that day, the roads were either dirty and dusty or wet and muddy. Sandals didn't do a whole lot to help with that. And so everybody walking around would have very dirty feet. In front of every house, there would be a a bucket of water because you didn't want to go into someone's house and track mud and dirt all through their home. And so they'd put a bucket of water out in front of the house so that before you went into that house, you could wash your feet and go into that house with clean feet. Now, typically, you didn't wash your feet yourself. The owner of the home would take his lowliest servant, his lowliest slave, and he would put him out front with that bucket of water. And when you came to that home, that servant would wash your feet for you. Well, here is Jesus, and he's with his disciples, and they're sitting down for a meal. And in that day, you, you didn't have a, a dining table and chairs that you would sit at. Children, that's probably what you do at home, right? At dinner time, you... You sit down, maybe it's a round table, a square table, a rectangular table. You sit down as a family 
and you eat dinner. But in that day, there were no dining tables. What you would do in, in that day is you would basically recline on the ground. And, and your head would be here, and your feet would be here, and next to you would be the other person's feet. And so you didn't want your dirty, stinky feet to be in someone else's face, and so you wanted to make sure you had clean feet. Well, Jesus gets down here in John 13, and Jesus does what the lowliest servant of that day would do. He starts washing the feet of his disciples. And typical, brash, stubborn Peter doesn't like it. No way, Lord, you're going to do this for me. Now notice what Jesus says in verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Now turn over to verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so to follow Jesus for Andrew and Simon and for James and John, it meant to watch Jesus, to see his love, to see his compassion, to see his concern for righteousness. It meant to listen to Jesus, to hear the wonderful words of eternal life that came from his lips. And it meant to imitate him, to follow his example. Now we need to now come to the 21st century and we need to realize that this is the same call that comes to every one of us as Christians. Most of us are familiar with the Great Commission of Matthew 28. Jesus says, go into all the world and make what? Disciples of all nations. Children, a disciple is a follower of Jesus. Christian, you are a disciple. You are a follower of Jesus. Jesus has called you powerfully, supernaturally, effectively. He has called you to follow him. And these same three things that were true for these men in Matthew chapter 4 are true for you and for me today. First of all, we are to watch Jesus. Now, children, we know that Jesus is not still present on this earth. He died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven. And so we can't, we can't see him with our own eyes. But isn't it true that as we read our Bibles, as we read the Gospels, we observe him. We are reminded and we are taught who he is. His miracles, which we will look at, Lord willing, next Sunday morning, display his almighty power. His righteous anger toward the Pharisees displays his holiness. His interactions with sinners display his love and his grace and his compassion. And I want to remind us this morning that these are not mere doctrinal truths to kind of file away in our heads. Oh yeah, I remember when Jesus cleansed the temple, that, that reminds me that he is holy. Or I remember when he talked to the woman at the well, that reminds me that he is gracious and merciful. 
observing these things about him ought to draw our hearts up to worship him. Observing who he is, and as we make our way through the Gospel of Matthew, we, we pray that this will be true for us. Observing who he is ought to cause us to love him more. It ought to cause us, whether we are young or old, to, to follow him wherever he calls us to go and whatever he calls us to do and to seek to honor him in all things in our lives. And so, children, you may not be able to see Jesus today. Now, one day you will. You may not be able to see him today, but you can open your Bible and you can observe him. You can see how great and majestic and lovely and gracious he is. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Secondly, though, it also means that we are to listen to Jesus. As his word is proclaimed every Sunday, we are to hear that word and put it into practice. We, we are to pray that the Holy Spirit would open our minds and our hearts to, to understand, to take to heart, to apply, to live out the truths of Scripture. Throughout the week, as we open our Bibles by ourselves or with our families, we once again hear the words of our Savior for us. And if we are Christians, these are words that we treasure. Remember what the psalmist says about the word of God in Psalm 19? More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Do we pray, Lord, give me a hunger for your word? Give me a hunger for your word that is stronger than a hunger than much fine gold. May I hunger for your word. May I learn from your word. May you teach me your word so that I may follow you more faithfully. Christian, you are a disciple. You are called to observe Jesus. You are called to listen to Jesus. And thirdly, we are called to imitate Jesus. Now, something that's important to understand, and that is this, that, that Christ will enable us to imitate him. He will work in you, Christian, so that you will imitate him. Now, you may not see growth like you wish you saw growth, but he will sanctify you. It's not as if, you know, God forgives your sins, he justifies you, he adopts you into his family, and then he says, okay, now you're on your own. It's up to you to, to, to get the rest of the way. I've got you this far, now it's up to you. No, the Bible teaches us that God has given us his Holy Spirit who sanctifies us and enables us to grow in Christ's likeness. But nevertheless, Scripture still calls us to pursue an imitation of Christ. Now in this area, as we think about imitating Christ, there's much we could say, but, but let me give you two things to think about. First of all, we are to imitate Christ in our service. In our service. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And, and then he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry was a humble servant. You and I are called to be humble servants. I love what one author writes. He says this, Look at everyone in the church and say, My own Savior dedicated his life to serving this person. Therefore, it is my privilege to do the same. How different would the church of Jesus Christ look if we all did that? How different would the church of Jesus Christ look if we all said, my own Savior dedicated his life to serving this person. It is now my privilege to do the same. We are to lay down our lives by sacrificing our wants and our needs for our brothers and our sisters in Christ. Maybe that means... Um, Serving at blast, serving in the nursery. Maybe it means taking a, a meal to someone as they go through a difficult period in their life or coming alongside of that person and praying with them. But we are to imitate Christ in our service. Secondly, though, we are also to imitate Christ in our love. We looked at this already from John 13. But we are to imitate our Savior by loving one another. Jesus even says, and I, and I think we often forget this, that our love for one another is a powerful witness to the world. What, what does it say to the world when Christians are at odds with one another? What does it say to the world what does it communicate to an unbelieving world when Christians backbite and devour one another? We are followers of Jesus Christ. And as such, our lives are to look different than the lives of unbelievers. Being a follower of Jesus means a, a, a radical reorientation of our lives. Living in a radically different way than the world around us lives. And, and really, each one of us should take the time to examine our hearts and to say, Lord, show me the areas in which I can do a, a better job of imitating my dear Savior. We are to observe Jesus. We are to listen to Jesus. We are to imitate Jesus. And, and notice when Jesus calls these men here in Matthew 4, this call is effectual. It is effective. It, it brings about the desired results. Je Jesus says, Simon and Andrew, follow me. And what happens? Verse 20, immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Jesus then sees two other brothers, James and John. They're, they're in a fishing boat with their dad. They're mending their nets, and Jesus calls them to. And what does verse 22 say? Immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. That's the power 
of what we call the effectual call of Jesus Christ. These men don't say, well, Jesus, we have some questions. We'd like to know a little bit more about what we'd be getting ourselves into when we follow you. They don't say, but, but Lord, we've, we've got this fishing business to tend to. Maybe, maybe 15, 20 years from now, when we're retired, maybe then we'll get more serious. When the Lord calls a person with his effectual call, that person comes. Immediately, Jesus commands and they follow. You see, the fact that these men follow Jesus is not a testimony to the wisdom of these men. It's not as if we can say, you know, Simon and Andrew and James and John, that was a really good decision you made. A lot of people out there aren't very smart, but this shows that you're really smart and you decided to make the right decision. The fact that they leave everything immediately and follow Jesus is not a testimony to the smartness or the intellect of these four men. It is a testimony to the powerful grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love what William Hendrickson says. He says, we see here the impelling force of Jesus' influence over the hearts and minds of men so that when he calls, they follow immediately. The breadth of his sympathy and the magnitude of his power are also shown here. Is it not marvelous, Hendrickson says, that he was willing and able to take such common folk, four fishermen, unlettered individuals, and in spite of all their prejudices and superstitions, to transform them into the instruments for the salvation of many, to make these men leaders who by means of their testimonies would turn the world upside down. You can't help but read this passage and say how great is our Savior. That he would take common, unlettered fishermen. That, that he would take men who would, the world would say, that's ridiculous. You, you expect to change the world and you're going to use these guys? power of Jesus to take these men and as Hendrickson says he uses them to turn the world upside down brothers and sisters the fact that you follow Jesus Christ is not a testimony to the fact that you made a good decision at some point in your life it's not a testimony to the fact that, that you're smarter than people who are driving up and down the 99 today and have no care about their soul the fact that you follow Jesus Christ is a testimony to the greatness of your Savior who called you out of the darkness and into his light. You see, it's not as if God just, you know, kind of hopes that his grace will lead a person to follow Jesus. It's not as if God is out there just kind of wooing and enticing and, and hoping maybe this person will respond to me. God works inwardly on our souls. He changes the disposition of our hearts and, he, and our wills, and he gives us the gift of faith so that we believe in and follow Jesus. And it's all his work. It's all his work.
need to read this passage. And we need to understand that if not for his supernatural, powerful, saving grace, you and I would never follow him. That ought to humble us. And that ought to cause our hearts to well up and to say what powerful grace I have been shown. And now, Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you have the same calling that these men had. You have the calling to be fishers of men. You and I have the calling to bring the, the life-saving message of the gospel to those who are perishing. And, and the comforting reality is that it's not up to us to make converts. Instead, we, we speak the message of Christ. We, we tell others of their need to be delivered from their sin and from God's wrath. We tell them that this deliverance is found only in Jesus. We speak with grace to them. We speak with love to them. We speak with patience and compassion to them. And at the end of the day, we rest that the Lord will save those who are his. And he will make them his disciples. Isn't it amazing that the Lord would use people like us in this task? Whether it's sharing the gospel with our neighbor, our coworker, whether it's coming alongside someone, maybe this morning after church that you know is struggling. Maybe it's training your children at home, a task that you might feel so inadequate for. Moms and dads, the Lord will use you. He is using you. He will continue to use you. He will use us as we minister to one another. He will use us as we speak the gospel to other people. We're simply called to be faithful. But how incredible that the Lord would use fishermen. How incredible that the Lord would use weak and broken vessels like us. And yet that's what he's promised to do. This takes us right back to what I told you at the very beginning of the sermon and what we heard from 1 Corinthians 1. That the Lord uses the weak to shame the strong. And that's so that he would get all the glory. J.C. Ryle writes this. The religion of our Lord Jesus Christ was not intended for the rich and learned alone. It was intended for all the world. Is a man humble? Does he feel his sins? Is he willing to hear Christ's voice and follow him? If this be so, he may be the poorest of the poor, but he shall be found as high as any in the kingdom of heaven. Intellect and money are worth nothing without grace. We may be the poorest of the poor in the eyes of the world. We may be the weakest of the weak in the eyes of the world. You may look around you this morning and say, really, Lord, you're going to use this group of people? Yes, he is. Parents, he's going to use you as you minister to your children. 
brothers and sisters, he used each one of us as we serve the body of Christ. And as he does that, we give him all the praise and all the glory. Because by his grace, and by his grace alone, we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've been blessed by this podcast and would like to support this ministry, you can find us at www.goodnewsinadarkworld.com. Thank you for listening.